Hi, welcome back to Homeschool Minnesota. This is Dale Annand. Uh, we're so excited to welcome you today to a discussion with Craig Harrison. Craig Harrison uh, just recently wrote the book, Your Child's Best Teacher. Um, he and his wife Edelweiss and their two boys live in Minneapolis, and he uh, is a homeschooling dad. Craig also has uh, five university degrees, wow, including a PhD in physics, a theology degree, and an MBA. He loves canoeing um, in the Boundary Waters, um, loves working on his workbench, is an avid reader, loves Lord of the Rings. My husband would totally relate to that. Um, and is also a football enthusiast, which I'm assuming, Craig, means that you like soccer, correct? Correct. Yeah, because we, you know, America, it's soccer. Everywhere else in the world, it's football. Football with feet. <laughs> football with hands is what we play, I guess. But yeah, how, how are you today? Welcome to Homeschool Minnesota. Thank you, Dale. Doing Thank well. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for taking the time with us today. Um, also, I wanted to let our, our listeners know that Craig will be a speaker at the Mache Convention coming up in May in Rochester, Minnesota. And you will be able to purchase his book at the uh, Esther's Place Homeschool Resource Center table at the Mache Convention in the vendors halls. So um, welcome, Craig. How are you today? Doing well. It's a lovely day. It is. It's unseasonably warm for February in Minnesota. I'm a little disgruntled. I love winter. So. <laughs> um, I was just excited to... Um, talk with Craig recently um, about being a homeschool dad and what that looks like. And uh, Craig is the primary teacher for his boys. Um, he also uh, has written a very interesting book. I've just been reading just outlines and excerpts from the introduction and things like that. And I just would encourage you all to get a chance to look at it. But I just wanted to ask Craig, um, Craig, can you tell us a little bit about your homeschool journey, kind of how you came about homeschooling and um how you came about being the teacher. Sure, I was a very reluctant homeschooler. It wasn't something that we as a family had ever planned to do. I never wanted to be a teacher. That wasn't my skill set or background. I trained as an engineer. And uh, in fact, I remember my mother uh, was a teacher. She, she was a, the perfect teacher type. And she thought it was very funny when I went on a um, short-term mission trip in my early 20s to North Africa. And one of the things that I was asked to do was to teach three children for one day a week to give their mother a break. And my mother thought it was, it was really funny that, um, that I had to do some teaching because it wasn't me at all. <laughs> I grew up in New Zealand and my wife and I moved to the USA in 2010. Uh, we had one son at that stage and a second son was born soon after. And then as our oldest son was about four years old, we started to think about school. My wife and I had both gone to public schools and that was our default setting. We visited a local school and we expected that he would be starting there. But I started to hear uh, people within my wife's side of the family talking about home education. And that was the first time we ever really considered it. I, I kind of had that sinking feeling 
in my stomach when I heard it because at the time I was unemployed and um, my wife was working and I knew that I would be the one that would need to teach. So uh, it, uh, that's what happened. We, I, I started teaching my oldest, my youngest joined in not long after that. And uh, I've been teaching them ever since. We, we were told early on to not think of it as a, a lifetime commitment, just to take it a year at a time and see how that worked. And that was really good advice. And what we found was that it worked really well. It, it worked well for my boys. They were doing exceptionally well. And we, we just kept on year after year. And after a few years, I realized there's no way that, that we could um, switch them back to a public school. So I continued teaching them. And uh, nine years later, here I am. And I, I do want to say, though, that it was the, the best decision that we could have made looking back on it. We're very grateful that we made the decision to educate our boys at home. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really good, um, that's the way a lot of us feel is that it's just, once we start getting into it, it's not that there's not challenges, but it's always a really good decision. Um, what, what challenges, speaking of challenges, what challenges did you face becoming the primary teacher in your school? Well, there were challenges, I guess, um, from, from being a dad. And that's something that I do talk about in my book. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think mainly it was just the, uh, the, the challenge of not feeling like I was a teacher, that I, uh, I wasn't naturally good at being patient and being sympathetic to people that, um, that didn't understand the way I did. And that's, I think, why I, I never wanted to be a teacher is that maybe it's something with engineers as well. I, I focused on science and engineering and mathematics. But when you understand something, it's very hard to explain it to somebody who doesn't. And the, the approach that I would take um, I was sure that my explanation was perfect and I just needed to repeat it maybe a bit louder. Um, <laughs> maybe I could, I could force my children just to understand what I understood. <laughs> and so that to me was the, the biggest challenge. It was maybe one of the biggest learnings I had as well is that it's not so much about the material, it's about how you're making the child feel. And I... Um, I think my biggest challenge was just remembering that I wanted them to enjoy the learning. I needed to be patient and kind and help them um, to, to enjoy what we were doing because if they didn't enjoy it, it didn't matter how much I technically taught them, they wouldn't want to, they wouldn't be interested in that subject. So my biggest challenge, I think, was being, being patient and kind and loving and <laughs> um, them enjoy the experience as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's every homeschool parent who is the primary teacher for their ch children. That is the that is their biggest challenge. Is um, I think God calls us to homeschool because He wants to develop patience in us. <laughs> mm -hmm. He needs us to see how much we lack in that area. But I also think 
wanting it to be enjoyable and to and for them to love learning is just the whole process of yeah. of homeschooling. Um, so y- you you write in your book about there's a fundamental difference between being involved and taking full responsibility. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? What does what do you mean by that? Yeah, there is, and uh, that's that's something that I think mums are probably much more aware of because they're primarily the uh, the the spouse that raises their children, and if they're educating at home, uh, that teaches them as well. But I I noticed uh, that as a dad in particular, that uh, a lot of a lot of dads maybe think that they're involved, but there's just a a quantum difference between being involved and taking responsibility for mm-hmm. it. I think the first time I recognised this, and it wasn't to do with home education, but just raising our children, is that at the time I was searching for a job, and that was kind of consuming all my mental energy. My wife was doing some contracting work. Uh, to get some income, and uh, I I can tell you the the exact time and date that it happened. But one of our children had a a very public meltdown, and mm. I I knew in that instant that one of us had to take primary responsibility for raising our children. Mm. At at the time, we were both distracted, and I thought, no, one of us has to say, this is my job, this is what I'm doing. And this is what I'll focus on. And other things will will happen around my primary responsibility to the children. And because uh, I hadn't found work and my wife was working, I knew that that needed to be me. So I recognized at that stage that, that there was a difference between uh, thinking that you, you're just contributing to something and understanding that you're primarily responsible for it. And that's the same with the teaching as well. I've had, I've talked to another dad who's a wife homeschools for children. And he said to me, oh, I understand how you feel because uh, once my wife went away for a week and I took over the, um, the homeschooling and mm-hmm. it was a great time, you know, I, I enjoyed teaching them. And I thought you have no idea because your wife is coming back in a week and then you're back to your job. It's the person who's taking primary responsibility that knows this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm committed to. And uh, I know what it's like to be teaching the kids all day and have to be thinking about meals and um, doing the dishes and trying to get the laundry done. And then when the kids are in bed, having to do marking and prepping for the next day. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're right. There is. It's, you know, when you I guess when, when you're in the middle of it, I never thought of it like that as like, this is just, you know, but when you think about it, it really is, there is a difference between being involved in school and taking the responsibility for it. And um, yeah, that is so true. Um, One of the things that I I like that you talked about um, as well was um, homeschool dads forgo their ambitions, their own ambitions for the sake of their children. Um, You know, we hear a lot about like, roles between you know men and women and and roles in marriage and roles in family and and um i think it's i think it's interesting to me how uh that can sometimes get into like well the woman is the one who stays home and takes care of the kids and the man is the one who goes out and gets the job and 
And um, those are so traditional and not, not wrong and not bad. It's just that I like how you and your wife have been like, well, you know, she's the one who's working and I'm the one who is looking for a job. And apparently the, my job that God has given me is to stay home and take care of the kids and, and homeschool the kids. How did that, um, at, when you came to that realization, what are some things you had to grapple with in your heart a little bit? Was there anything that you had to kind of like go, gosh, this is just going to be a little bit hard for me to overcome or, or um, give up or. Yeah, it was a tough issue to, to grapple with. And I think as well, it, it may be particularly the case for dads that are raising their children or, or teaching them, but I think it can apply to a lot of mums as well. Yes. In our culture, uh, women have been told for a generation that to really be fulfilled, they need to have a career. And mm -hmm. if they're committing to raising their children and educating them, then they're giving up that career as well. Mm -hmm. Now, I do think that God has made us differently as men yeah. and women. And yeah. I think in general, uh, he designed women to be, to be more nurturing. And uh, stereotypes are a good place to start. They're not always yeah. the case, but, but that's typically how it works. And so for a dad to think that um, rather than my role being the, the one who goes out and works and provides financially for my family, I'm going to be at home. That was a, a really big challenge for me over the years. It wasn't, I guess, until I started writing the book that I wanted to face or I felt that I could face this issue. And there are a number of issues that, that I thought through. And what I came to realize is that that as as a dad, I I felt it was my duty to provide for my family. And I was providing for them far more by um, providing this home education environment than if I was simply providing finances. Yeah. And as parents, we sacrifice for our children. Just mm -hmm. having children means that we're sacrificing our own um, our own desire to control our lives and bringing somebody else into the world and saying, well, this is my responsibility now to raise my children. And that's a sacrifice. And so sacrificing ambitions for a career is along the same lines as that. And I started to realize that, uh, that it was something that I was doing for the good of our family. We can see the benefits, particularly over the last few years of uh, how our family has flourished because of decisions that we made there. And it was uh, something that, that when I recognized, well, this is what I'm doing of significance for my family. This is the sacrifice I'm making that I realized it wasn't just a failure on my part. It wasn't a failure to, to find work or to provide for my family. Um, it wasn't like a, uh, just a, a result of, of not having work, but it was a positive step that I was taking for the sake of my family. Mm, yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, I like that. I, I think that's just really a positive way of looking at it, which leads us to um, something that you wrote that I really liked. And and I, I actually subscribed to this when I was homeschooling, and I still do in my life in a lot of ways, but that you decide to homeschool because you're for something not because you're against something. Yes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Yes, that 
That again was advice that we were given when we started on the homeschool journey. And it, it was an excellent piece of advice. And throughout the last few years, of, as I have been thinking more about home education, I've wanted to focus on the positives of it. Yeah. In my book, I do talk about the problems that there are in public education, but I think the greater message is that we're educating our children not as a reaction against what we see in society, although that is certainly the case, but more than that, it's something that we're, we're doing for the benefit of our family. And uh, God, God created family and he created children to be in family. And what education has done is take children out of the family where God wanted them to be nurtured and develop and grow. And so we have an opportunity to mentor and disciple our children. But that happens best when they're within the family unit. Mm -hmm. So I see, see home education as a real positive in terms of our families and flowing up on into society because strong families are the foundation of a flourishing culture. But in, specifically in terms of why we decided to educate our children at home, we wanted to have a good answer when people asked us about it. And uh, rather than just reacting against something, we wanted to say, well, this is, this is what we're doing it for. And yeah. I hadn't done the research and thought about it. But what we chose at that stage was that it would give us the freedom to travel. My family is in New Zealand. And so I was able to take my boys back to New Zealand for two and a half months during school time. I could yeah. pick up their lessons and just go. And we had the flexibility to do that. My wife travels quite a bit for her work. We've been able to travel with her. And I thought it was ironic that I've been asked two times, uh, are you homeschooling because of religious reasons? And <laughs> the, a biblical worldview is very important to us. So that's a factor. But each time I could say, no, that's not why. Uh, it's to give us the flexibility to travel. And I don't think anybody could, could think that there was a bad um, reason. They might think that we shouldn't be indoctrinating them with our religion, but I don't think they could argue against the thought that having flexibility in terms of their, their learning environment and being able to travel was, was detrimental to any children. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and um, we, when we were talking earlier, Craig, I remember the conversation kind of went um, as well, you know, it's, if you're if you're homeschooling because you're for something, then on those at those times when it's complicated and difficult and things you have to push through your your season of homeschooling that could be a bit of a challenge for you, remembering that you're doing this for a purpose rather than well I did this because I'm against this or I I felt backed into a corner and so this was the only decision we had, it makes it a little easier when you can look at the positives of it and and push through it because you're you're working towards something. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it makes it so much better. Um, I, I just, I love that. I think that that's, that's your mission statement as a homeschool, your vision statement as a homeschool is, what are you for? Why are you doing this? Mm. Um, and it's what keeps you going forward. Um, 
one of the other things you talk about is teaching your children how to think, not what to think. Um, talk a little bit about that. What are ways that you do that? I could talk about that all day because it's a whole, that, a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that I has frustrated me a lot over the last few years in particular mm. is that I just don't see people thinking and uh, having trained as a scientist and um, then working as an engineer, that's given me a perspective. The, the thing about science is that science is done by questioning things. That's how mm -hmm. we learn things. We, we question the prevailing narrative. We question whether what we've been told is actually true. And then we can investigate it and try things out and see whether we can come up with a better explanation for what we see around us. And so as a scientist, you're wanting to, to question what you're hearing and what you're seeing and what you're learning. And I wanted my children to, uh, to be able to, to question as well, not just to tell them what to think, but to teach them how to think. It's true these days that, that knowledge is advancing rapidly. And so if, if children are taught uh, particular skills, then they might not be relevant in 10 years time. Right. But if they're taught how to uh, how to learn, if they're taught to, to question what they're learning and to, to look for alternatives, then they're in a much better position long term to be able to deal with whatever comes to them. And so one thing that, uh, that I've told my children is that I want them to understand the opposing view as well as those people who believe it so that they can argue against it. That's uh, really good. A specific example would be uh, in, in origins, so evolution, creation, and we're currently doing a creation science course, but previously we have looked at evolution as well, and uh, it's, it, the material we used was from apologia, it was from a Christian worldview, but I kept, kept emphasizing to my boys that I want you to understand what evolutionists believe and understand the thought process because then you're in a much better position to evaluate it yourself but also to um, to be able to argue against it and I want them to come to their own uh, view on things but to understand both sides of an argument and um, and know how to evaluate what they're learning. Yeah that's really good I think that's a lot of the issues that um, people are having today is that not knowing how to find information, not knowing how to think, um, just being taught this is this is how, this is what you need to think in order to fit in, and it's like, but that's not that doesn't advance the society. That doesn't that doesn't um, improve culture at all. Mm. <laughs> to just go along with whatever is being taught to you as the truth, and not questioning anything. I mean, I think you look at in the past the biggest you know the best best inventions and the most helpful things came because people questioned the status quo and decided maybe we can prove on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we're going to wrap up our first part. We are coming back with the second part. So hang in there, guys. Um, <laughs> I just wanted you to talk about the objective is to learn not to get a satisfactory grade in homeschool. Yeah, that's, that's something that 
I thought hard about. And uh, one one message I have in, in the book is that I I want to encourage homeschool parents to think deliberately about their education, mm. uh, about why they're doing it and about how they're going about it. And as an engineer, I was quite happy to try out different things to experiment on the children, see what worked and uh, see what didn't. But, uh, and grading was one thing that I, I did experiment with to see how it would work better. I can understand in a classroom of, of 30 children why you need to do tests and, and grade it to see where they're at. But right. I don't understand why that needs to be the case when you're working one-on-one -on -one with a child. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, if you're working with your child, you should know whether they're grasping a subject, whether they're struggling with it, whether they're enjoying it, whether they're not enjoying it. You don't need to have them do a test in order to determine that. And so for the first um, many years of their education, they hardly did any, any tests or any work that was graded. And I could monitor how well it was doing and, and help them with that. When we started to get to, uh, to higher level work, I, I think there are some benefits in doing tests. It puts mm -hmm. pressure on them and it's a good skill to learn how to do a test well. And I've been in at university long enough to know that knowing how to do a test is just as important as knowing the material. Yeah. And so I taught them how to take tests. Uh, we have the external tests uh, here in Minnesota that we need to do each year. And I would go over test technique with them. But I think the, uh, the real thinking happened when we did a a biology course it was uh, probably a couple of years ahead of their level and they were they were struggling a bit with the material and when they got to the the tests they they ran through the tests and they didn't do so well on it and I thought what's the point of carrying on to the next module just to say that we've completed the course mm. when they haven't really understood the material is yeah is the objective here to get a grade or is it for them to learn something? And I, I have been in so many exams where I studied really hard for the exam. I sat the exam, got a really good mark. And a week later, I couldn't remember anything about the course. Yeah. So I thought it's much better for them to learn one thing and to remember that than to, to swat hard for a test to get a good mark and then forget it all. So the, the focus for me in that case was more about helping them to learn some of the material really well, rather than learn all of it superficially, just enough in order to pass. And that led me to, to think about testing and um, assessment in different areas as well. Different subjects you would want to approach differently. Uh, mathematics, for example, it might be appropriate to be testing art type subjects. You, you might not have any, any sort of testing at all. But it made me think, what is it that we're really trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And when we're doing literature courses in history, uh, 
there's, there's the learning, but in terms of the assessment, I'm wanting them to learn how to write well. And uh, so that's, that's uppermost in my mind when they do that assessment. So it made me just think about the particular subjects and think, well, let's be very clear about what I'm wanting them to learn and not be hung up about um, whether they've covered the material or whether they've got a good grade or whether they've, um, they've checked off that box and, and completed the work. Yeah, that's really good. I think that's, that's just a really good um, foundation and a really good way to um, just be proactive in our homeschooling and making sure that our kids are learning because that again is another vision mission statement is it teaching our children to learn and to love the process. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. Well, Craig, we're going to wrap up this this portion of the interview, and then we're going to come back with the second portion. So, um, yeah, so all of you just uh, hang in there, and um, don't forget to click on the second part uh, with Craig Harrison, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, homeschooling and and his homeschooling his children and uh, the process that they've gone through, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. I know it is to me. And um, yeah, so join us back here um, for part two. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Dale. Welcome back to part two with Craig Harrison, the author of the book, Your Child's Best Teacher. Um, hi, Craig. Hello, Dale. Thanks for coming back. Um, so we've been talking a little bit about homeschooling, well, a lot about homeschooling. And uh, just to recap that Craig is the primary teacher in his home uh, with his children. Um, he lives in Minnesota and is a homeschooled dad. And he will be a speaker at the Mache Convention, as well as his book will be available at the Esther's Place Homeschool Resource Center table in the vendors area of the Mache Convention. So that's exciting. I'm glad to hear that you're speaking and that your book will be available for sale there. Yes, it, it will be uh, a, an interesting time because I, I've become more involved in uh, the homeschool community over the last year or so. And it's great to have this opportunity to, to share about uh, what I have learned. That's good. I'm, I'm, we're, I, think, I think people are going to be real excited to hear from you. Um, so we've been talking about schooling. And one of the things that uh, you write that I just, uh, it resonated with me because of my um, experience as a child um, when I was in school. But you, you write that your child will remember how you make them feel much longer than they will remember what you teach them. And I just, could you talk a little bit about that? That was something that I, I came across a number of years ago and it really hit home to me. Mm. Um, my, the, the way that I came into uh, home education was um, reluctantly and I, I wasn't wanting to, to be there. And I, I realized that my attitude was affecting my children. And I, uh, I came to realize that if they are going to learn well, they need to be enjoying what, what they're learning. And a big part of that was 
what my attitude was, whether mm -hmm. I um, was being patient and kind with them, whether I was just cracking the whip and making them do their lessons and, and forcing them to get through it. And there were times uh, I felt frustrated because I would understand something and not feel like I could teach it to them. And I would, I would start to lose patience with them and I could just see the impact that it was having on my children. Mm. And I realized that even if I taught them the, the technique or the material or the process, whatever it was that I was trying to teach them, if I was making them feel um, upset, then they wouldn't enjoy it and they wouldn't want to carry on. So when I came across the quote, which, um, which was, your children will remember how you make them feel much longer than they'll remember what you taught them. I thought that's, that's exactly right. I realized that was my big challenge is to make them feel loved. And if they're in, in a loving environment, then they will learn much better than if they're in an unhappy environment. Right. That's so true. I have a, a little personal story. Um, if you have a minute, I, I, sure. I'd love to share yeah. it. But um, when I was in school, when I was in first grade, um, we our family had been going through some major transition. Um, my parents were divorced. Things were not going so great. Um, there was a lot of, a lot of just uncertainty at home. Um, my mom was wonderful. She, you know, but she was trying really hard to hold the family together and hold down a job and support three children who were real. And I was the oldest in first grade. So you can imagine the stress on my poor mother, <laughs> yeah. but I was in school and I had this first grade teacher and she was really young. I, I can't imagine that she was more than first or second year teaching. And, um, I, I, you know, I struggled in math so much when I was that age, I just couldn't get my brain around it. And, you know, in that age, you're just doing your, your addition and subtraction tables. And mm. every Friday we used to do these, um, timed tests. I don't know if how many of you remember those where every Friday you had to be like, they give you a worksheet with like 25 problems on there and you had a certain amount of time and you had to go as fast as you could. And it was to kind of get your brain thinking a little quicker in the addition and subtraction. And, I always did so bad, but I wanted to finish it. So I just started just, you know, I could never figure it out. And I would just start writing random numbers. And um, of course I would get my, my test back and I would have, I remember one, one time I got my test back and every single one of them were marked wrong, every one. And, and I was just so discouraged until I looked at the top of the paper and um, I was an early reader, so I could read this, but she wrote, you have, you write the best numbers in the whole class. Yes. And I just thought I was so proud of myself. I'm like, well, I'm stinky at math, but at least I have the best handwriting. <laughs> it just made me want to work that much harder. It made me want to um, not feel disappointed in myself, but to know that, you know, it's okay. You know, you, you're struggling in this, but you do really well at this. And, and I don't know, it just changed my perspective as a child who was going through such a hard time um, to really feel like I was actually okay. Everything was going to be okay. You know, something mm -hmm. so simple like that, but she just changed my whole outlook. And then she worked so hard to really find what 
every student in her class was good at and to just really encourage them in it. She just worked hard as a teacher. I, I still remember her as being my first grade teacher, my most transformational teacher I had. And I just, I just loved her. Yeah. And she just always made us feel very happy and safe and excited. And yeah, so it's true. I mean, I'm 55 years old. I was what, six? That's been almost 50 years ago. And I still vividly remember how, she, how I felt when I was in first grade and how she made me feel. Yes. There are some wonderful teachers out there. And I know a lot of public school teachers do, yeah. do a great job and do have an impact on uh, on the children in their classroom. We can all remember teachers that impacted us. So I, I certainly don't disparage teachers that are doing a great job like that. Absolutely. But the huge advantage we have as parents is that our children are with us. It puts a lot more pressure on us. Yeah. To live our values and to, uh, to, to um, model what it is that we're saying. But we have a greater opportunity as well to impact our children in a positive way. We're going to be with them next year. We're not going to um, move on to another teacher. Our children will never graduate out of our family. They'll always be our children, no matter how old they get. And so we have that advantage um, of working with them long term. And if they know that they're loved, then they are in a situation where they can learn as well as they can. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I just, yeah, I think that um, focusing, like you, you say, focus on the child, not as much on the content um, mm. is just so important. Um, so Craig, tell us a little bit about um, the subjects that you teach and, and like the different ways that you may, you might teach those subjects that, that talk about like focusing on the child, not as much on the content or, um, you know, I mean, I, I guess I look at that and I'm like, okay, but how do you focus on the child? You still have to get content in there. <laughs> so what is that actually walking that out? What does that look like? Yes, you do. You do need to have content. Um, that's what we're doing. But that's something that I, I think we can think harder about what content is important and what is going to benefit them long term mm. it's something that i perhaps didn't think about as much as i should have in the early years and i've i've thought about it now as i was preparing the book i i had to think through a number of these issues but what i realized is that maybe intuitively at first and maybe we all do this intuitively but we need to think about what's what's a priority for us there are so many options there are so many really good options for curriculum for courses and we also know that in home education we have the flexibility but we also have much more time we're not spending a lot of time getting children to and from school uh, there's not time moving between classrooms or doing other activities so the amount of time that you need to get through the same amount of work as a child does in school is much less, which gives us more time. What do we do with that? Well, for me, at least, the temptation was to fill it up with a lot of other subjects and activities. And uh, th there are always more that you can do. So we need to prioritize. 
I think the default for, for me at least early on, um, and maybe for a lot of other people, is just to go with what a curriculum provider has said is the, the default. It's probably what children are taught in school. I didn't uh, go to school in the USA, but I imagine it's fairly common, the sort of subjects that are taught. Mm -hmm. And as I started to think about it, I, I became a, a bit more aware of, of what was important at different stages, what, um, what I was wanting to head towards in terms of what the children learned. Uh, I'm, I'm not an education expert. Uh, I know that there's a lot more to learn, but I think early on, science is very important, hands-on science and uh, just trying things, letting children explore and get their hands dirty and pull things apart and see what they can find. I, I have uh, seen uh, some information from Raymond Moore, who was one of the pioneers of, of home education, that, uh, that actually, I'm wrong, it was Ruth Beechick, who was a uh, um, wonderful pioneer. Oh, yeah. And uh, she said that there was a study done at one stage at an elementary school to, to identify the difference between children that uh, were learning to read, that had um, a lot of reading training early on in their first few years, compared to children that did science. And so the, the reading children learned to read well. The science children did um, explored and investigated and played around with things. And what they found is that a few years down the track, the children that focused on science were reading better than the children that focused on reading because wow. they had learned about the world and they knew uh, what they were reading about. They had learned to, to apply it. So I really do believe that doing a lot of hands-on science is important early on. I think that mathematics is an important subject, and it might be that I'm biased being an engineer. That's true. <laughs> but I, yeah. I felt that that mathematics is a, a subject that should be taught um, consistently a bit at a time right through because it's a skill that uh, that children need to learn. And then what I started to do was identify, well, what is it that... Um, needs to be done uh, a little bit at a time over the long term, as opposed to something that can be learned later on or in a block. A really helpful analogy that I came across early on was the, the fence post analogy. And if you're, if you're living in the frozen north and you decide you want to build a fence in the winter, there are two ways you can go about it. You can go outside and uh, take a pick and and dig away at the frozen solid ground until you've got a hole big enough to put in a fence post. And then you can move on to the next fence post and dig away at the frozen ground until you've got a hole big enough for another fence post. And gradually mm -hmm. over time, you'll get your fence built. But the other way to do it is to wait until summer comes. And when the yeah. ground is thawed out, you can go out and easily dig your holes and put your fence up uh, much more quickly than if you did it in winter. Now, that isn't to say that you should always do it in the summer. 
sometimes you need that fence up and you have to go out and chip away at it over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And I felt that mathematics was one of those subjects that you should chip away at bit by bit over over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, something else like um, like language arts, I didn't feel that that was a subject that you needed to introduce at an early stage and try and teach them the rules of spelling and grammar. I thought that it would be better for my children just to read a lot, to learn to love reading. And then later on, they're at the stage now where we're doing language arts much more intensely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really good because it gives them like a context. You're giving them context for it. Like if they read a lot, now they understand sentence structure and paragraph structure and grammar because they've been exposed to it through something that they've enjoyed um, for years. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, Yeah. that's really, I, I love your fence post analogy. I think that's really something that, you know, just in school, but in life, just, you know, sometimes it's not always about getting it done. It's about timing. Mm. Um, you know, it's just super important to understand the timing of what you're teaching and, and whether or not it's the right time to teach it. And, um, I think we get caught up in, in like the scope and sequence of things that we need to have things done at a certain time. And, and by this age, they should know this. And our son was a late reader. Um, we were living in Guatemala at the time and he, he struggled with reading. It was really hard for him and he excelled in all kinds of other things, but um, you know, he spoke Spanish before the rest of us Mm -hmm. and was translating for the whole family (laughs) at at the age of seven and um, but had a real hard time reading and, and just, you know, we just could not get him to do it. And he just, you know, no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, it just wasn't clicking with him. Um, until I found a key to unlock that in him, um, which turned out to be Calvin and Hobbes. It's a long okay. story, but anyways, he just really wanted to read that because it was intriguing to him and it started him in, in his path of reading. And, um, you know, at the age of nine, then he started reading Lord of the Rings okay, and, and being able to just fun- flourish in it and loved mm-hmm. it and, and could understand it and had awesome insight into it and you know the whole time I'm thinking oh my word something's wrong with my child he can't read and I'm in a country where there's not reading experts or dyslexia people or any of that to help me figure out what's wrong with him yeah. you know and um but it was just all in his timing it's, it was the timing of it you know and he was ready when we introduced him with something that he was it just it just everything intersected and it just unlocked everything. And then he became an avid, you know, just really flourished in reading. I wouldn't call him an avid reader, but had no, no issues. And he's an incredible writer. Even today, he writes amazing things, but Mm. yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. And reading is something that we, we thought was very important from an early age, but I, I have learned more about it. This was Raymond Moore that talked about reading and encouraged parents not to to push their children into it too early just to give them time and let it uh, come when it's time for them to learn to read we had two different experiences our eldest learned to read when he was about three he was uh, reading 200 page books at four four and five he was reading 
uh, Lord of the Rings for the Silmarillion at about six, six wow. or seven. His favorite book was Jules Verne's The Mysterious Island. So we didn't have to worry about him. But our second son, we had taught him how to read, but he he didn't read willingly. Uh, he um, was reluctant to do it. And we were smart enough at that stage not to try and push him, not to assign reading to him and make him yeah. read um, 10 minutes a day or anything like that, just to take it easy. We got books. And for him, there was one series of books that he really enjoyed. They were funny. And once he started reading that, he was away. And he doesn't read as much as the oldest even now. But it was just waiting for the right time for him. Yeah, that's so good. I think we get caught up as parents. Like, I think we remember, we forget that our identity is to be um, their caregivers, their nurturers, their guides, you know, um, yes. and we think that teacher is the most important thing. And, and, and in some ways it is, but it's actually sometimes gets in the way of the most important thing, which is guiding our kids and listening to them and nurturing them. And yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So to wrap things up, Craig, why don't you tell us why are you your child's best teacher? Why are parents their child's best teacher? The short answer to that is that as a parent, you love your child more than even the best teacher could do, the best mm -hmm. public school teacher. And it's about love. It's about security in the family home. It's about children feeling that they have a place and that they're affirmed. And as a parent, you are in a much better position to do that than even the most caring and loving um, school teacher can do it. The, uh, the thing that I think we often tend to focus on is the content, the academic content of what they're actually learning. And in that respect, not everybody might feel comfortable about teaching all subjects. I, engineers are notorious for thinking that they know everything and so coming into home education, I was never phased by teaching anything. Uh, I, I reached my limit in music after a few years of teaching in piano. And so we got a, a piano teacher. I wasn't very good at art, but uh, apart from that, any subject I was fine with. But that's not the point. It's not the point whether you know the material well enough. The point is whether you're going to provide a, a loving, caring, um, supportive, encouraging environment in which your children can learn. Nowadays, we, we are blessed with having so many great resources about, and there are lots of options for subjects that you might not feel comfortable teaching. There are online classes and curricula and homeschool co-ops and things like that. Yeah. But the, the more important thing is, uh, is that your children know uh, that you love them, that they feel feel encouraged and supported. And if they will do that, then they'll be in a much better position to be able to, uh, to learn. But there's another really important aspect of it, which uh, I haven't really touched on yet, but 
education is not just about learning things. It isn't about uh, simply the academics. It's also about worldview. It's also about values. And yeah. it's about the things that are important to you um, as a Christian. Our faith is very important. And so it's about uh, learning about God and um, learning to study the Bible. And education encompasses all of these things. These days, education is used to really mean just schooling, academics. But the original meaning of the word um, coming from the Latin is to lead, to lead forth, to lead a child uh, into a position where they can be a productive member of society. And the best place to do that is in the family because you're, you're modeling, you're discipling them, you're teaching them a worldview, you're teaching them values not just the the academic material and to try and separate the two is uh, doing a disservice to children mm. when the child is taken out of the home and taught in a classroom they might learn the academics but the worldview that they're learning in that school could very well be different to the worldview that as parents we want our children to learn and to try and pretend that they're not learning values in the school and that we can just teach them at home or um, most likely these days i think a lot of parents just expect their church to pass on those values to their children mm. that isn't treating the child as a an holistic human being that's trying to break them down into the moral side and the academic side but a, a child is one, one person, and uh, and we need to think about education holistically in terms of learning uh, values, learning morals, learning a worldview, as well as learning academics. And so the parent is the best teacher to be able to do that. They're they're teaching that through their example. They're teaching that explicitly as as a young child is growing up. And when it gets to education, that needs to be incorporated into the uh, into the academic work. Yeah, that's really good, and I agree. I think I think yeah, I think the child's the the parents focusing um, on the child holistically, spiritually, mentally, in all ways, and educationally, really does produce a child that is um, well-rounded and able to really go out there and, and thrive yes. in society. Yeah. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking your time today um, away from your homeschooling to talk with us um, here at, at Homeschool Minnesota, Mache, about uh, just what God has given you um, in terms of a message, which I think is so, so important. I, I really appreciate your time today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Can't the wait to meet you. Can't wait to meet you at the Mache convention. <laughs> yes, I look forward to that. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day. And as always, um, if you need anything, you can always just contact us at Mache. It's Mache at info. Um, uh, info. I'm sorry. Info at Mache.com that or dot org. Sorry, I'm really messing that up today. Info at mache.org. That is where any of your questions that you might have about homeschooling, anything that you need to know, if you just need support in some way, 
that's how you can contact us, info at mache.org. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Dale. Bye-bye.